Turn it down, please. Got a new phone, sorry. Wow. The petty. Thank you, Kip. The petty, the pettiness is real today. <laughs> more grace, Lord. More grace. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm going to ask you guys to uh, join me in a brief word of prayer, and then in Genesis chapter 27. Starting at the 41st verse, uh, precious Heavenly Father, uh, we cannot thank you enough for all that you've done for us, Lord, and Lord, may your praise continually be on our lips, Father God. May we not forget your faithfulness to us that has abounded to us and continues to abound unto us, Lord. And Lord, uh, we're here for your glory today. Uh, meet us where we're at, Lord. Uh, for we're seeking to know you in a greater and more intimate way. We, we're here not just to hear a good word, but to hear the word of the Lord for me. That's our attitude here today, Lord. And so we, uh, and so we humbly are prepared to receive your word uh, that we might grow thereby and bear fruit that gives glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I uh, preached uh, last week on Esau and said I'm going to spend a couple weeks on Jacob, these twin brothers whom, who were born to Isaac and Rebekah. And we focused on Jacob last week. Yeah, he got a raw deal. Yeah, his brother cheated him out of his birthright and his blessing and whatnot. But we talked about what, Jake, what uh, Esau did to make himself susceptible to having those things done to him. He was not a spiritual man. He did not prize the things of God. He did not regard as sacred the covenant of God. God gave that covenant to Abraham. Abraham was his grandfather. There wasn't a lot of generations removed from that. His dad was the son of Abraham. And he was the firstborn. And he did not prize and did not value the responsibility he had to uphold the promise of God and to carry it forward to the next generation. And so his lack of regard for the covenant of God led him to act in ways that despised the covenant of God. And Jacob wasn't, wasn't any more spiritual than Esau. We're going to address that today. But he knew the value of a thing. He knew the value of the covenant and what it could mean for him. So he was self-centered. He was self-focused. He wasn't God-honoring. But he did not regard as cheap the, pro the, the promise and the covenant of God. Does that make sense? I guess not. Hopefully it'll make sense as we go on. But he regarded it as valuable enough to scheme to get it. 
So he, he knew what it could mean for him. And after the scheming is done, I don't want to recount it too much and, and let too much of last week bleed over into this week, but we get into today In Genesis 27, verses 41 to 46, the deed has been done. The blessing taken first, uh, the birthright taken first, the blessing taken. And it starts in verse 41 of Genesis 27. As a result of what has been done to him, Esau hated Jacob. So Jacob is a hated man. Because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So that's how he comforted himself. My dad's gonna, not going to live much longer. I'll get my blessing and my birthright back. When dad's gone, I'll mourn, and then I'll handle this by killing my brother. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Hey, Rebecca controlled things, man. She knew how to get her way. She knew how, she was playing chess while Isaac and everybody else was playing checkers. So she was engineering this scheme to get the, uh, the, the blessing from Esau to Jacob. And she's obviously got the house wired, man. She's got people in different places where she can always find what the word is, what people are saying on the down low. Esau comforting himself, saying he's going to kill his brother. Word gets back to mama, and mama has a plan. She's making this happen. I'm not saying this is a good, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying, calling it what it is. You know, where do you think Jacob learned his scheming from? He, he said at the foot of the master. And I want to say something to parents out there. Uh, 
I just feel it in the moment. This wasn't part of the message, but I believe it needs to be said, and I feel God wants it said, is that parents, I'm going to tell you something about these godly parents here. Isaac and Rebecca. That's important for we parents, particularly as we're endeavoring to raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do not play favorites. It will cause strife. It will cause kids to fight for the affection of their parents. It'll cause all kinds of discord. Isaac, I mean, Esau and Jacob, yeah, they rumbled in mommy's tummy. Yes, there was a prophetic word that they were going to be at odds and the, and, and the uh, older is going to serve the younger. But don't glance over the fact that it said, obviously and clearly, that Rebecca preferred Jacob and Isaac preferred Esau. Both of them favored different sons. And it doesn't say clearly, but I don't believe that the prophetic word given to Rebecca about the twins that are fighting in her womb was a secret prophetic word. I don't think Isaac was ignorant of that. But as these boys grew up and one was a man's man, a hunter, lived off the land, did all the things that a man does, and daddy was proud and loved that, the other one was kind of a mama's boy. It's all right? It's all right? <laughs> he was the opposite of the other, and mama was all about this boy. And so you got a competing household going on here. And that thing, that thing just, it metastasized. It just started something that was that ended up causing great dysfunction within the family. So much so that one sibling seriously planned to kill the other. So much so that one sibling did not give a second thought about cheating his other sibling out of his birthright and his blessing. That's something that's unhealthy. In a family that's supposed to love each other, Right? It's supposed to sacrifice for each other, bless each other, and so forth. This is going on in the house of godly people. So you can love God and still be flawed. You can love God and still be wrong. You can love God and still need to repent and grow out of the issues of your life. You can grow up in a godly home and still grow up in a place that was jacked up and dysfunctional. And I love that about the Bible. The Bible does not leave out those important details. And it speaks to me because it's, it really, it really uh, amplifies the power of the salvation of the Lord, what he can redeem us out of. There's nothing too big for God. Amen? And so, what I want to draw out of this, uh, the passage that I read, is that Rebecca heard what Esau plans to do to Jacob, and she comes up with a plan for him to flee, for him to escape the consequences of what they had done. 
So Jacob is a running man. But he's not running toward God and his plan for Jacob. No, he's running from the consequences of his scheming. In life, it's important that you honestly assess what drives your life choices, especially your major life choices. What's driving them? Why do you keep relocating in in various areas of your life? What I mean by that is this. Why do you keep changing or relocating, changing personal relationships? Changing jobs, changing churches, constantly relocating in certain areas of your life. The likely reason is that you're running from something, just like Jacob was. Let me give you a personal example from my life. My dad chose not to father me despite having every opportunity to do so. Uh, Rest his soul, he's gone on to be with the Lord. And we reconciled later in life, but, but that was in my adulthood. But he chose not to father me despite having every opportunity to do so. And that had a profoundly negative impact on me. I adopted a negative self-perception as a boy, thinking that something must be wrong with me. Why else would my dad not want to father me? Why do we say hello and greet each other in passing, but there is no want to be involved in my life like a father should? And I spent the first half of my life running from that negative self-perception. Feeling a lack of worth, lack of value, lack of belonging, lack of acceptance. Running from those things, trying to find them somewhere. I did not want to be what I perceived myself to be, and I engaged in a lot of things that were uh, not edifying or harmful uh, to me for want. I'll just say, uh, as I was running from, my self-image. You know what else I did? In anger, I judged my dad harshly and vowed that I would never do to my kids what my dad did to me. That seems innocent enough. It seems, you know, considering what my history was, people could understand how I would feel that way and might empathize with my feelings. said, I will never make my kids feel unaccepted and abandoned. I wasn't sure what being a great dad looked like, but I knew that I didn't want to be like the dad I experienced. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, whether it's a dad, a mom, or or, or someone else, or a significant person in your life. So I was running from becoming that guy. Are you hearing me? 
running from becoming that guy that I've walked in judgment against. I was still running from becoming that guy when Christy and I started having children. I didn't know it. Uh, This is upon further reflection. I didn't know it at the time, but God made me aware of it. But like I said, I was still running from becoming that guy when Christy and I started having children, and it made, (laughs) truth be told, it made me a parental pushover. My kids didn't mind it. My wife, not so much. But it made me a parental pushover. We had two kids at the time. I think Christy was uh, pregnant with our third, with with, with Brittany. And little Bethany and Dominique, if they shed a crocodile tear, they got whatever they wanted from me. Because I didn't want to let them down like my dad let me down. Sometimes mama had already told them no. Those little devils, I mean angels, (laughs) would then come to daddy because they knew they would get a yes. It went on this way until God used my darling wife, Christy, to get my attention. She saw what I couldn't see. And in her frustration, she told me, I'll never forget it. I asked her about it last night. She told me, our daughters did not need a yes man. They needed a father. And and as much as I wanted to defend my case, God hit me right in my heart and, and let me know that my wife was right. At that moment, I began to be awakened to what was really driving me. I didn't know I was a running man. Here I am, a young man of God, young godly wife. We're endeavoring to raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And in the, in, in, in the midst of serving God, in the midst of, 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 of acclimating and growing as a husband and as a father and all this stuff, I was ignorant to the fact that I was running from something. Blind to it, because I'm in a different stage of life. And God hit me right in the middle of, right between the eyes with that revelation. You're, I was not being what my daughters needed me to be as a father, as a godly father. Because of my dad hurts. Wounds and condemnations and inner vows that I am still straddled with that's affecting me. And so, but let me say this though. There's nothing wrong with wanting to give our children the desires of their hearts. I'm not saying that. Not saying that at all. As long as it comes from a healthy place. And for me, it wasn't from a healthy place. I I can be honest about that. I couldn't say no to my little girls because I was running from my dad hurts. And God had to deal with my dad hurts. And God wants to heal you too if you will let him. 
And so I ask a question to all of you today, and if it doesn't apply to you, praise the Lord. But I had no idea I was running, but I was running. And maybe God is dredging something up. Maybe he is bringing something to the surface for you. And so I just explained to you a way I was running. The question I have for you is what are you running from today? Whatever it is, it's time to stop running from old wounds, regrets, and consequences from the past. It's time to stop running. It's time to stop looking back over your shoulder. You're going to eventually run into something. You're going to eventually crash. You cannot hit the mark if you're not laser focused on it, if you're not looking where you're running. Try to run a straight line while looking over your shoulder. I'm not a betting man, but I would bet that uh, you try to run as fast as you can while looking back. And I say, run, run right into the middle of that door right there. You might end up running into the wall if you don't trip over one of the chairs over there. Because you can't keep your bearings straight. That's one of the messages Jesus was given in Luke um, I believe uh, Luke 162 uh, hope I got the chapter right but the verse I mean, some of you will find very familiar one of the people when Jesus was trying to get people to come and follow him one of the people was like let me go and say goodbye to my family and so forth and then I'll come follow you Jesus ended up saying no 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 man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Put your hand to the plow and march forward. You can't look back and plow. I don't, I'm not a farmer, but back then, they tilled up the ground through plowing. And if you put your hand to the plow, you better not look back while you're plowing. Otherwise, you've got crooked lines everywhere. You have to keep your hand on the plow. And usually they had a fixed point, a tree, a rock, or something. They put their hand to the plow, and they just kept going, kept laser focused to make sure that the line stayed straight. If they were distracted or looked back, you've got a mess. We're going to have to press forward, press on toward the things of God. We can't be running away from something. There's got to be something that we're running to. God doesn't want you constantly running away from something. He wants you running to him. He wants you running the race that he's marked out for you. So are you running from something or running to God? I would take that to God if I were you. And ask God to, to reveal the truth of the matter to you.
because you want to be in his will. You want to be running the race he's marked out for you. You want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant at the end of your days. So Jacob is a running man. Chapter 28, verse 1, he gets a blessing. Now, Rebecca, like I said, she's, I tell you what, man, she's the queen. She impresses upon Isaac and gets her way. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the uh, Aramean, and the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. We'll, we'll get to what happened with uh, his uncle Laban next week. But here's why I like to connect these dots and, and uh, to lead you to the stories or, or, or main passage that we get into so we can see how things developed, how things materialized, what significant events happened to get us where we are today. Because things don't just happen. Jacob ends up with Laban. He ends up working for him for his daughters and Man, he got a raw deal out of that deal. His uncle was just like his sister, Rebecca. He's a schemer, boy, and he took advantage of him. But he ended up there because he was a man on the run. He wasn't pursuing God. He was fleeing from consequences. Eventually, but God had, but God had, a mark on his life. He wasn't walking in it yet. He wasn't fully walking with God. He didn't really exemplify godliness and forthrightness and all that other stuff. Yet God's call was on his life. So God was going to confront him and deal with the character flaws. Eventually, but right now, we're just dealing with Jacob on the run. He's just gotten the blessings from his father. While he's running, he's not going to Laban to honor God. He's not going to Laban because he believes it's the call of God on his life. He's not going to Laban to be the blessing and, and, and whatnot, that the name of the Lord might be proclaimed. He's going there. Because that's where his mother wanted him to go. He's going there because staying where he was was not an option. Just because we're on the move does not does not believe does not mean necessarily that the way we're moving is in honor of the Lord. 
Just because it's what we want to do does not mean that it's endorsed by God or that or approved by God or, or, it, or it honors God. But he's got the blessing of the Lord on his life. He's got the call of God on his life. And he's running for his life. <laughs> all at the same time. At some point, all these things are going to converge. Skip down to verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And we'll, we'll end here today. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. It's significant that he is on the run. He does not sense the presence of God on this place. He did not say, I am on holy ground. Let me lie here in the presence of God. He was just tired. Found a rock to use as a pillow to lay down. Taking one of the stones, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the son of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Who doesn't want to hear a word from the Lord like that? He, he didn't, did, did he earn this? No, that's not how it works. He didn't, he didn't earn this. He was marked by God at birth. Is he walking in righteousness? It's not a trick question. It's just, it's a bit rhetorical, but, uh, <laughs> but it's not a trick question. I'm not trying to trip you up. Is he pursuing God? He's not. But I look at that. Our experience and, and, and my experience in coming to the Lord didn't, my salvation didn't result in me pursuing him. It, it, it resulted in his pursuit of me. Many of people praying for me. Mom and grandma praying, praying for me. Saved Christian friends praying for me. Bugging me, trying to get me to church. And it wasn't until I came to the Lord and got a chance to reflect back on it to realize 
just how much God was wooing me, just how much he pursued me before I even realized it. God has this man marked for something great. And in this place that holds no significance to him personally in the moment, God gives him a dream to reveal to him the significance of the place in which he is sleeping right now. This is where the promise will be fulfilled to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. The Lord was in so many places in my life, and I did not know it until much later in life. So many times in my life, I look back and I was like, I felt like God was not there. Where was he? He was absent. He can't be real. If he was real, he'd have been there when I needed him the most. And it's been amazing how I've gone back and seen how God was present in my story. In each one of those places where I felt just like my earthly dad, God left me abandoned as well. And I found myself thinking, my goodness, God was there and I didn't even know. God was with me and he was working back then and I didn't even know it. And I'm so grateful. Thank you, God. Despite my attitude, despite my ignorance, despite all the, the, the mean things I said about you that were lies, you were there and I didn't even know it. Thank you. Because you were there, your goodness over time led me to repentance. And now I'm a man of God. Now I'm a redeemed man because he pursued me. He made himself real to me. And I became woke. I know that's a loaded term. But I became woke to the things of God. I became woke to the work of God in my life and, and and his great love for me. I pray that you're able to do the same. If you're struggling certain past issues of your life, I'm telling you, you may be asleep now to where God has been there for you so many areas of your life. But God will awaken you. Ask God to awaken you to where he was. Where you've been asleep in the past and unaware of his presence, may he make you aware of it today. So Jacob took the stone that he had put. No, he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. 
So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. I want to finish. Got a small bone to pick with Jacob. And something that maybe he didn't realize at the time, but we ought to realize. He said he woke up and what he took from that dream is God is in this place and I did not know it. Yeah, God was in that place, but I believe the greater revelation there is that God was with him in that place. See, God's not just in one place or another. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Are you hearing me? That's where he is right now. He doesn't see God as God with him. But that dream let him know that God was in that place. And I believe eventually God is going to reveal to him that he is with him. So that he's not just the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, but that he becomes the God of Jacob as well. The one who walks with Jacob, the one whom Jacob walks with. Sometimes we can want, we can see value in a certain time of our life and we wish we could go back. We, we, something special happened at a certain place and, and we have a certain uh, affinity and affection for that and, and we're confident that God is in that place and if we can just get to that place, it'll be all right. And we need to, get to a point to where our allegiance to God is such and our relationship with God is such that we understand what David said, I can't go anywhere where your presence is not also with me. Your presence isn't restricted to a place. Wherever I go, there you are. And the final uh, thing Jacob said was he responded with a vow. If God will be with me, if he will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house 
And he even say, then I'll even sweeten the deal and give him a tenth. To me, that's kind of how, that's been the economy of his life up to this point. Makes deals. If God will do this, if he'll do that, if he'll do that, then he'll be my God. You know what? He's God. You need to make the decision. Is he your God or not? Is he God or isn't he? Now, this isn't the finished product, Jacob. All right? So I don't want to make it seem like I'm beating up on him. I just want you to know where he is. Because oftentimes that's where we're at. And God wants to meet us there and help us go deeper with him. Right? I don't want you to be stuck in the shallow waters with God. I want you to go into the deep with him. I don't want you to to be in that bartering relationship. God, if you do this, then I will follow you wherever you send me. No. God, you are my God. I will go where you send me, whatever happens. I will yield to you and however you want to work in my life. There is no if, then, then that. If this, then you will be. No, 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 no. I'm going to settle this right now. I have decided to follow you. But this is where he's at. And he makes that vow to God that if you do these things, then you will be my God. I believe God wants to deal with us with that heart that would barter with God with vows. You don't mean anything by it. That's just where you're at with God. You're trying to negotiate with God and God is like, no, no, no. I've marked you. I've got a call on your life. Are you willing to come? Come what will, come what may, are you willing to come? Uh, I believe that Jacob turned Israel, if he had it to do all over again, he would come back and he would had different wording in his vow. But God was faithful to him, wasn't he? He did end up back there. He did bless Jacob wherever he went. He did provide for him. He did fulfill the covenantal promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And to his credit, Jacob did surrender to his lordship and make him his God. But Jacob in this moment is not a very spiritual man. 
He's running just like I was running. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you to stand, but I'm going to ask you to really, uh, those of you who can, I'm going to ask you to stand. And would you do that now? And I want to ask you to respond. To what God is saying to you. If you, like me, like Jacob, feel convicted right now that you've been running, you thought you were running a good race, but you realize you've been running from something. running from something more so than running to the Lord. And whatever that something is, God is calling you to make a choice today. You may not be able to work it in perfection, but you can make a choice today. He's calling you to make a choice to stop running from and start running to the Lord. Stop running from the issues and the hurts and the regrets and the consequences of the past and start running the race that's been marked out for you by God. Stop looking over your shoulder and looking back. God, that's a race you can never win. Because as long as what's chasing you is refuses to give up and continues to pursue you, you got to keep running. And there is no finish line. There is no goal. There is nothing that when you cross it, you've completed the race and you've won and you are victorious. You're just running from a pursuer that will never quit. But if you run the race that God's marked out for you, There is a goal. There is a finish line. There is a win. There is a crown that is laid up for you. There is victory to be had there. There is is victory. There's freedom. There's rejoicing that comes with that. And so he wants you to run a race that allows you to continue to look forward. There is a goal line that I can cross by his grace and by his power. Amen? So let's run the waste that has victory at the end of it. Hallelujah. So there is a choice. And I would challenge you to make that choice right now, right right today, right this moment. Make the choice to stop running. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. As the music is playing, do business with God right where you're at right now. If you, if you need help in that, then come on up to the front and I can help you with that. But, but do business with God right now and let him know you're making a choice to stop running from the issues of your past. 
Stop running a race that can't be won. You're choosing to run the race in which he has already won the victory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Father God, in the name of Jesus, I lift up your precious people today. Lord, whatever, whatever we've been running from, I thank you that you have spoken to them and raised, and raised their awareness to the areas that, they, that they've been running from. And I thank you that you have convicted their hearts and let them know that the choice is theirs. They can choose to keep running, to keep looking over their shoulders and keep looking back and running from what's in their history, or they can choose to run the race You've marked out for them to win. And I thank you, Father God, that that word has been planted on good soil and people are responding even now. Those present and those listening online, they're responding even now. Lord, I don't know what the future holds, but right now in this moment, I know the obvious choice that I have to make. And Lord, in the name of Jesus, I make the choice to run toward you. I make the choice to let go of the past and reach toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I choose to forsake the race that cannot be won and embrace the race in which I have victory already in Christ Jesus. I thank you for the wonderful responses of your people. I thank you for the choices that are being made for I know that once they've made the right choice, your faithfulness to them is assured. You will give them everything is theirs in Christ Jesus, everything that pertains to godliness, everything that they need in order to run that race that you've marked out for them everything that they need to cross the finish line and be victorious is theirs. They've made the choice. You will enable them to cross the finish line. Thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the redemption that we have. Thank you for the promises of God that are yes and amen. Father, I just want to, in 
And finally, I just want to bless everyone here in the name of Jesus. The Lord loves you. You are his and he is yours. His face shines on you. And he has begun a good work in you that he is faithful to complete. You are children of the Most High God. You are children of the Most High God. Hallelujah. You are his beloved. Remember that. Remember that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Your earthly dad might have, but your heavenly father never will. You can trust him. You can trust him with the issues of your heart. You can trust him with your life now. You can trust him with your future. Because he loves you and he's faithful to you. Father, I ask your blessing on us as we continue, as we as we end, bring this service to an end and we begin to transition over into our after-service fellowship with the cookout and Lord, I just pray that uh, your continued blessing on your people, Lord. Uh, Lord, I ask a special blessing on those who have uh, lovingly served to prepare the meal and, and everything for us, Lord. Uh, they volunteer to do it out of love, not only for you, but of your people. Uh, and uh, we just, we appreciate the gift of God that they are to us, and we ask you to bless them in their home, in their homes. Um, and Lord, as we go to uh, share a meal together, I pray that you would bless the food that we're about to receive for the nourishment and blessing of our body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, please. We are... <laughs>